You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Well, good morning. That's about 10 of you. Good morning. Yeah, so Fox Creek has pickleball courts, right, Heath? You've played there before, right, Heath? And we haven't played there in a while, right, Heath? Why have we not played pickleball? We're too busy. That's our problem. So if you come out today to Fox Creek, please come out prepared to hang out, have fun. But there are pickleball courts, tennis courts. And so if that's your thing, let's do it. I know we got a game going, right? All right. The old guy gets the young guy. How old are you, sir? 24. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, good luck. Good luck. All right. So, hey, to uh, First Thessalonians, please. And uh, we're in a new series. If you're joining us, thank you for uh, being with us. Um, the title of the series is When God Builds a Church. And I want you to think through just a moment why we chose that title. It's a God thing. It's an authentic work of God, what took place in Thessalonica. And so literally, as I outlined this series leading all the way up to December, um, I see authenticity everywhere. And here's the relevance for you and I. Whenever you see an authentic work of God in an individual's life, in a husband and wife, in a family, in a ministry like we were at yesterday, Wildwood Hills, in a church, what do you want to do? You want to take notes. You want to examine it. Why? Because we're going to see today, Paul says, the Thessalonians became a model for us to do life in Christ. And so what an encouragement. And so let's stand. We're going to read the whole chapter this morning. 1 Thessalonians 1. If you weren't here uh, with us last week, we covered the first few verses which very much uh, suggests authenticity of faith. Uh, so let's uh, engage together as uh, God's word is read. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in, notice, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. And then the next few verses outline the first authentic attributes of these believers in Thessalonica. Notice the thanksgiving Paul has. We always thank God for all of you, remembering you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father, notice what Paul recalls, your work of faith, labor of love, endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing your election, brothers loved by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with much assurance. You know what kind of men we were among you for your benefit. And you became imitators of us, but more importantly, and of our Lord. When in spite of severe opposition, persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. Verse 7. As a result... You became an example for all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, notice this, but in every place 
that your faith in God has gone out and we don't need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Please be seated. Had a hard time reading that this morning when he got a four-point font up here and the light's a little funky. It was like, okay, am I on the right verse? Did, was that pretty accurate to the screen? Okay, thanks, Hunter. I, I can trust that guy. He would tell me if it weren't, right? All right. So if you have your Connect card, what Sarah Houston highlighted, for those of you who are guests, what we do is we try to give you an outline, a roadmap to follow, uh, take notes, encourage you to just uh, engage and for future reference and so forth. But I do like to start out with a blessing, and the blessing this week is the same as last week. Why? We're talking about authentic faith, genuine Christianity. And so the blessing is this, an authentic Christian is marked by the transformational response to the Spirit's work in their life. Now, last week, again, we covered three of those transformational responses. In other words, it was evident to Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They saw God's hand, his Spirit's work. So let me show you one slide that kind of evidences that. In verse 3, when we look at that and we compare it to verses 9 and 10, here's what Paul said, evidence number one, your work of faith. What was the work of faith? They turned from idols, they repented of their sins. Your toiling love, what was your toiling love? You're serving the living and true God. And then this beautiful concept, remembering your enduring hope. What is that enduring hope? You're waiting for Jesus Christ's second coming. So the first three attributes are right there, and they're beautiful. Now, if you were here Wednesday night, you know we had a hoopla of a time, right? And by the way, the elders decided yesterday that we like the word hoopla. So they encouraged me when I preached to use the word hoopla more. No? Tyler's like, we named a pizza hoopla yesterday. We had a cool retreat at Wildwood. I'll tell you a little bit more about, huh? We, had a hoopla. we did have a hoopla. All right, so Wednesday was a hoopla, but more importantly, it was a ministry partnership, Meals from the Heartland. And what I want to do is just kind of recap, and, and here's the point, your work of faith, your toiling love. 90 people showed up Wednesday, folks. CrossFit, remember our partner here? They had a gentleman, hulk of a guy, arms three times my size, brought his youth group, and they served with us. But here's the coolest thing. 20,000 meals were packaged that are going to go to Iowa and around the world for the kingdom and glory of God. Isn't that great? That's what the church stands for. Work of faith, toiling love in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Ellen gets a, uh, a message. Where's Jason this morning? He's over there talking in the back, not even paying attention. You paying attention to me, son? No, not at that. See, see how it works around here? All right, well, then that's just it. I'll just have a little coffee. No, so Ellen gets a text. Hey, hey, uh, Ellen, how, how about the floor? Was it all cleaned up? You know how many times we swept this floor this past week? Too many times. When you got rice and all those ingredients, that stuff wasn't coming up. We basically gave up. Guess who finished the task? The guy who's paying attention. It's clean, right? But didn't we have fun? It was a blast. But that's what Paul is talking about. 
laboring because of the love of Christ. Remember last week, our motivation for service is because Christ's love compels us. And what a blessing that is. And so this morning, I'm going to add four more characteristics of this response to the Spirit's transformational work in our life. So stick with me. Here we go. Response number four. Authenticity, and I love this point, marked by joyfully welcoming the gospel. That's such a cool word. So when Paul, Silas, and Timothy come to Thessalonica for the first time. This is the first time the gospel comes. What happens? There was an open door. Same thing that happened in Philippi. Remember, God opened Lydia's heart. Remember the Philippian jailer? Hey, earthquake happens. He's scared. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved, you and your household. And they were baptized. Same thing is happening in Thessalonica. A work of God that is authentic. Why? There's open hearts, there's open doors, and friends, it's beautiful. So look at verse 6, verse 6c, actually. In spite of severe persecution, what did you do? You welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. When you think of welcoming, think of this, accepting, embracing, Again, when we went through the book of Acts, when we were in Acts 16, a two-week series on open doors, open hearts. This is God's work in our heart to cause us to open our hearts to respond to the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's happening here. Now, I want to go back just a little bit to Acts 17 to remind you of what happened in Thessalonica. So if you can put your finger in 1 Thessalonians 1 and flip back to Acts 17, let's review the first four verses there. Then they traveled, meaning Paul, Timothy, and Silas, through Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica. We're talking world-class city where there was a Jewish synagogue, therefore Jewish believers, Orthodox Jews, worshiping Yahweh, Jehovah, through the Old Testament scriptures. So that's audience number one. And so, as usual, what does Paul do? He goes into the synagogue. And on three Sabbath days, we're going to learn next week, because Paul worked morning, noon, and night, so he didn't have to be a burden to the church, He really had limited amount of time for ministry. So now we're on the day of worship, Friday, 5 p.m., Saturday, 5 p.m. It's the day of Sabbath. On three Sabbath days, what happens? We're in the synagogue reasoning with them from what? The Old Testament scriptures. And by that time in Christ's day, the 39 books of the Old Testament, the canon of the Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi were completed. Opening up the books, Moses, Psalms, the prophets, like Jesus said, and shared with them that these scriptures testify to who? Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. He explained and showed that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. And some of them were persuaded, joined Paul and Silas, including a great number of God-fearing Greeks. We talked a lot about this. These were Gentiles who came over to Judaism, but didn't necessarily follow the law or get circumcised. But they were devout. They were serving God. This was Lydia. This was Cornelius in the book of Acts. And then, as well as a number of leading women. 
Luke is very clear to highlight three groups of people. Jews came to genuine faith in Christ. God-fearing Greeks came to genuine faith in Christ. And like Lydia, remember? A professional woman, a seller of purple, doing very well, opened her home. That's where the church began to meet in Acts 16. Here are some leading women, professional women, women who are contributing to the kingdom and cause of Christ. That's what is being highlighted here. And so it's wonderful. Now, one of the things I want you to notice, look back at verse 6. How did they embrace the gospel? How did they open, it, open up their hearts to the gospel? What was the setting, if you will? Here's what Paul says. In the midst of severe persecution. You know what that suggests, folks? Here's why I think one of the reasons why their faith was genuine. It cost them to follow Jesus. It wasn't just easy believism. Sharing a simple message, hey, believe and it's all good and go do what you want. It cost Paul, Timothy, and Silas. Remember, they got booted out of the city in Thessalonica, just like in Philippi. There was severe persecution, and guess what? They didn't flinch. They were all in. And friends, there's a big issue in North American Christianity especially. It is called easy believism that we give lip service to the gospel. And what happens? Trials, struggles, persecutions, problems, knock on our door, and what do we do? We just abort faith. Gosh, God, if you're so loving, if you really care for me, why is this hardship knocking on my door? Because it's part and parcel of the gospel. Blessed are those, Jesus said, who have persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's exactly what happened with Paul, Timothy, and Silas. And the Thessalonians experienced it, and they still welcome the gospel with open arms. And so there's this beautiful truth, the genuine reception of the gospel, you'll stand firm regardless. Thank God for that. That's his spirit's powerful, transforming work in our life. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but I long to see this kind of work of God in all our lives. So students, can I speak to you this morning? Some of you are going to wind up in secular universities. And I promise you this. You are going to be tested as to what you truly believe. Why? There's cynicism out there. There's people who believe there's no such thing as divine truth, absolute truth that you and I can live by. The Bible, are you kidding me? Archaic, outdated, irrelevant. You're going to hear that time and time again. Will you stand firm in your faith? Will you be able to open up the scriptures and say, this is why I believe? Thus saith the Lord, not arrogantly, humbly, but not letting your faith get ripped off as is true with so many today in this culture. The data is working against us. And so parents and church, we, we team up to equip our students. Why? So when the onslaught of trying to transform the worldview to secularism comes, they'll stand firm. The other thing I'd love to see, because it's just been a part of the past four decades of ministry, the elders know a little bit about what I'm feeling this morning. But when addiction knocks on our door, when it's drugs and alcohol and pornography, stuff that destroys to the deepest core of our life, when the gospel comes 
and takes hold of our heart, we'll see victory in Jesus. And we'll say yes to whatever we need to do to demonstrate that this gospel is authentic in our life, that these addictive scenarios don't have power over us. Why? The gospel is the power of God. It transforms. Jesus said, if the Son will set you free, you'll be free indeed. And over the past many years of ministry, I've just seen this addictive lifestyle crush so many Christians, so many marriages. And yet the, the Bible is very clear. We can have power. We can live victoriously. You know what else I'd love to see? Because the data, folks, if we go online and you plug your income into world income uh, calculators, guess what? This group right here is a very affluent group compared to the global needs. And that we would say yes to generosity. We would say yes to seeing the gospel go out to the ends of the earth, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and beyond. One third of the world still needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will we make that investment? And the final thing I would love to see is this, that that one question, Lord, You've blessed me, you've gifted me, you resourced me, Matthew 25. I want to steward my life. How can I best do it for the kingdom of glory of God? And so if I'm a housewife and I got kids and I'm raising those kids, I do it, I go all in. If I'm a professional person, in my profession, in my occupation, I bring Jesus present to those contexts. Wherever we find ourselves planted, we live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Amen? That's the people of God. That's the gospel, regardless. You know, I like books, so here's one that probably is my top 50. You know the name John Piper, right? Tell me you do. Yes, we do. All right. Thank you, Mr. Sheldahl. How about this book? Do you know this book? So I read that maybe a decade ago, I forget how long, and it was during a season in my life that I just was kind of, I don't know, fading a little bit, lost some hearts, didn't have the zeal of the Lord, struggling to stand firm in the faith, and God just somehow, it just shows up, you know, and there it is. Oh, Piper, I knew Piper. He's in Minnesota. We were neighbors, but I never knew about the book. I read it. It changed me, guys. It changed me. It'll do two things for you. One, it'll reassure what the true gospel is in your life. But one of the other things it's going to do is it is going to say, come on, don't waste your life. 60, 70, 80 years at best. Are you going to invest it for eternity? Are you going to welcome the gospel and allow that open heart to produce much fruit like Lydia did? Much fruit like the jailer in Philippi did. Much fruit like these Thessalonians did where their lives become a model and a testimony. Response number five. It's a beautiful passage. Authenticity marked by mirroring the life of Christ. And I love the word mirroring. It comes right from the original language. Track with me, verses five through seven. You know what kind of men we were among you for your benefits. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord when, in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. 
Notice this, as a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. I said this last week, but it's worth repeating. This is the only church in the whole New Testament that Paul uses as a model, as an example to pattern your life and ministry after. Would you agree with me? We should just sit up, take notice and say, Lord, teach me. Open my heart, open my mind, open my life. It's the only one. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to track a little bit with some of the New Testament churches. Let's start with Corinth. And I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'm just giving you the data from the Bible. The book, two of them, to the Corinthian church, guess what, guys? They had a lot of spiritual gifts. But you know what? They were plagued, and I chose that word especially, with sin. What kind of sin? Arrogance divisiveness, gluttony, drunkenness. They came to the Lord's table, what was called the love feast in the ancient day, and they were self-centered. They abused the Lord's table. Paul warned them, man, if you don't examine yourself, the Lord will examine you. The Corinthian church didn't have a lot going for them. Yes, they were in Christ. And by the way, Paul's writing from Corinth to the Thessalonian church. How about Galatia? Church gets planned in Galatia. You read chapter 1, it'll break your heart. I love how the King James puts it, verse 6, who has betwixt you? Who's tricked you? You started well. You embraced the gospel. You said yes to the Holy Spirit. Now you're going back to works. You're going to perform. You're going to do. You're going to make the grade. And somehow God's going to accept you? Paul said, stop it. That's not the gospel. It's a false gospel. You know why Galatians was written? To correct theological error. Philippians, beautiful book. Love it. Book of joy. 14 times in Philippians. But guess what? There's tension. Two of Paul's co-workers, chapter 4, read it. Yodi and Syntyche are fighting in the church. Paul appeals to Epaphroditus, help these co-workers get along for the gospel. Folks, the New Testament church isn't pretty, I'm telling you. And then you jump to Revelation 2 and 3. Do you realize the New Testament closes? Jesus, with eyes of fire, hairs of wool, examines seven churches in Asia Minor, seven. He comes to Ephesus, he builds them up, way to go. But then he says this, verse 4, chapter 2, I have this against you, you've forsaken your first love. You started so well. You had an undying love, Ephesians 6.24. What happened? How did you get distracted to other loves? And then, bookends of the seven churches, Laodicea, you familiar? Lukewarm. And because you're neither hot nor cold, and because you're lukewarm, you mean nothing, you have need of nothing, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth, Jesus says. Folks, there's not a lot of examples to turn to in the New Testament. That's my point. But there is with the Thessalonian church. They were imitators of Christ. They were an example to Macedonia and Achaia. We can pattern our lives after them. Why? They're patterning their lives after Jesus, and that's beautiful. Let me show you the Greek word. It's worth noting the... uh, uh, Imitators is mimetes in Greek. It's where we get the English word mimic or imitate. 
And it's just really a beautiful uh, concept. Why did the Thessalonian church become an example to follow? It's real simple. They were mimicking Jesus. Now, friends, I'm not suggesting this morning that we'll ever do this perfectly, right? But I'm suggesting we should fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's what the Thessalonian church did. Now, <clears throat> I asked Dave Van Bruggen, how old are you again, Dave, early 40s? I said, Dave, you know this jingle from way back when? He says, no, nope, sorry, fat chance, old guy. And uh, didn't say old guy, but I just threw that in there. But how many of you, let me, let me show this picture here. How many of you can go back to the early 70s? How many of you remember this? Walter, Plagueis, C, C, yes, Andersons, anybody else? You guys want to stand up and show all our gray hair? Is that what you want to do? All right, so here's how it works for you youngins, and I would encourage you. This was iconic in the day iconic. You want to talk about marketing. It transformed the marketing world. So what was going on is Coke was number one. It was kind of the real thing. Who started mimicking? I don't want to pick on Pepsi, folks, but I'm gonna. Pepsi started mimicking Coke, and they were working hard to emulate the taste of Coke so much to the point where Coke was frustrated. What are we going to do? They're taking over market share. They're going global like we are. This is rotten. So they came up with what was called the real thing jingle. You ready to sing here? Worth, do you know it? Come on, stand up with me. Get over here. Worth's been visiting the past few weeks. Can't do it. Anybody want to do it with me? Well, you know it. Plagueis, you're not interested. So I just go solo. All right, here it is. You ready? It's the real thing. Coke is. That's the way it should stay. Coca-Cola. The world wants to say, whoa, yeah, it's the real thing. Coca-Cola, it's life. I can't believe I did that. Guys, go online and do the, do the review of that stuff, man. It was super cool. They went to Italy, and they brought in international students. They uh, mimicked it, so they didn't really sing it, but they, they shot the thing from the air, and it's just cool. But what happened was it turned it all around for Coke. Here's the thing. Why mimic the Thessalonian church? One reason. They mimic Jesus. I wish I could say to you, follow my example as I follow Christ. I think I could say that in parts. I think each and every one of us here could say, hey, follow my example, parentheses, in part because I follow Christ, right? But no one here follows Jesus perfectly. We all fall short. We would agree, amen? Somebody say amen? Yeah, that's true. But when we follow Christ, which the Thessalonian church was doing, they mimic Jesus Therefore, they become an example. We go all in. So the question today is, when people see your life in mind, do they see the real deal, the real thing? Could they create a jingle about you? He's the real thing. I won't, I won't put your name in there, I'm sorry. Or should I? Mr. Dahl is. Yes, I was looking at you. Doesn't it look like I'm looking at you? All right, one final thing. Luke 6, verse 40. Jesus made this clear, 
And the New Testament really wants us to fix our eyes on one person, Jesus. Again, I'm encouraging all of you to be an example to each other, but ultimately to Christ. Here's what Jesus said. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like who? Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. That's one of the ultimate goals, and what a way to go. That was the Thessalonian church. That can be you and me today. So response number six, authenticity marked by broadcasting the gospel of Jesus. And again, choosing my words, I think, um, intentionally, but this is kind of the connotation behind the word here. So let me show it to you. Verse 8. So Paul says, for the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. And this is remarkable, guys. Remember, he only spent three weeks there, potentially only three Sabbaths, because he's working. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. So it rang out from you, Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. So let me give you some um, words that are used for this ringing out. It's a great thunder. It's a trumpet blast. It's a roaring sea. So they were declaring loudly that Jesus Christ is Lord. They were standing firm for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's remarkable. Let me show you a map, Macedonia and Achaia, just to uh, review. Remember? Paul's second missionary journey. This is where Philippi is and so forth. This is where uh, Greece. And so that's a pretty huge region that this church plant that Paul spent three weeks, and I'm going to hang my head on there. Why? Because not because of Paul, Timothy, and Silas, but because the gospel is that powerful. Their lives were transformed and they start trumpeting the good news everywhere. What a testimony. And so, I love this idea that the Thessalonians were not just a recipient of the gospel, they were also a transmitter of God's powerful truth. They received and they gave back. They were life-giving. Paul Harvey, I grew up with him. He's uh, gone home to be with the Lord, but he said this. He said, too many Christians are no longer fishers of men, but keepers of the aquarium. Camp on that just for a moment. Too many Christians are no longer fishers of men, but keepers of the aquarium. I love that, but I want to create balance today. And here's the balance. The balance is God calls us to do both. Can I use this analogy as the aquarium? We're the fish, right? Jesus has caught us. We're part of his you know, spiritual aquarium. So we got to feed each other. We got to nurture each other. That's why we have life groups and D groups and Sunday worship and Bible studies. Go all in, right? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we don't stay there. When you exit, you go out into the mission field, right? The world, Wesley says, is my parish, and we take the gospel to the ends of the earth. What a blessing that is. And so therefore we do things like, remember when we did the Alpha Course? Tell people, just get introduced to who Jesus is. Does God really answer prayer? Can you trust the Bible? That's why our children's ministry does children's glow events. And the youth do blitz. And the list goes on and on. 
So we want to be a both and. We want to be in reach and outreach. We want to be evangelism and discipleship. We want to receive the grace of God, but share the amazing grace of God with others. That's the beautiful balance of the gospel. And thank God for that. And so, yesterday I was talking to my mom, and she had disheartening news. She says, our dear sister, uh, Mary Duttweiler, passed away. And Mary was very senior. And when I became a Christian, uh, Mary, Bob, husband and wife, were in our home church, Milgrove Bible Church of Western New York, nine children, seven boys, two girls. And as mom and I talked, you know what we said? We lost a matriarch, but she's home with the Lord in glory. But you know, there's one thing we know for certain about the whole Duttweiler clan, 11 of them total, they always trumpeted Jesus. Missionaries overseas, planted in educational institutions, marriages, children for the kingdom and glory of God. I says, Mom, I, 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 sometimes it grieves me because our home church is senior in right now. And we miss so many of the memorial services and times with the people who have influenced us so much. I said, please give our love, but tell the Duttweilers how influential they were in our lives. They trumpeted Christ in reach and outreach. That's what God wants for you and I. That's what God gave the Thessalonian church. Response number seven. Authenticity marked by reflecting the love of God. And I chose to put this point last, although in a text it's earlier, but I think this is the capstone. This brings it all together. It is truly the ultimate response of the gospel. So let me show it to you. Back to verses two and four, because I didn't get much time last week to camp here. We always thank God for all of you remembering you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of God, our Father, your work of faith, labor of love, endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Next two phrases are key. Knowing your election, brothers, sisters, loved by God. Now, I want you to know something, especially if you're taking uh, notice, because anytime the word election shows up or that phrase shows up, people get a little tense, right? Oh, my neck hurts. Not sure what that means. Not sure I believe it. Let's just relax for a moment. Paul's not here to develop a theology of election. You know what he's here to say? He's here to say two things. Because God loves you, he chose you. If you want a summary statement about election, think in terms of this. Because God loves you, he chose you. That's it at the heart. And friends, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. If you recall when we were going through Malachi chapter 1, right? Israel is hurting, struggling, frustrated. Does God really love us? What does God say? Of course I loved you. I loved you so much that my love towards you looked like I hated other people groups. God didn't hate other people groups for God so loved the world, right? But his love was so great, it almost looked like in comparison that he hated. I use the analogy too of my love for my dear wife and it's just absolutely true. I love Ellen so much that the opposite sex gets no attention, zero. And that doesn't mean I won't have conversations or respect or connect, none of that. Counsel will do that. But she's the love of my life. I chose her 
And thankfully, she came to her senses. She chose me. Took her seven years. Ellen loves when I keep coming back to that. But that's the reality. Um, but let me show you this in two snapshots just so we, this is kind of review from Malachi. God's love is premier in scripture. It is everywhere. Genesis to Revelation. But two passages this morning to tie the Old and New Testament together. Deuteronomy 7. Listen to these beautiful words. The Lord was devoted to you, meaning Israel, and did what? Chose you. Not because you were more numerous than all people, for you're the fewest of all people. But, huge contrast, because the Lord loved you, kept the oath he swore to your fathers. He brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know that Yahweh, your God, is God, the faithful God who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commands. Here's the deal. God chose Israel not because they were lovable. We've talked about that a lot. Abram was a pagan. Not because Abraham was lovable or because he had spiritual credentials. He chose Abram because he loved Abram and he loved people and he wanted to bless all nations on earth through Father Abraham right? He chose Israel to be a light of the world, not because they're lovable, but because he loved them. Jump to the New Testament. Let me show you what Paul says. It's a prayer for the church, but capture what he says about God's love. He says, I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love, meaning the love of God, we get rooted and established in his love. We love him because he loved us, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depths, of whose love? God's love. And to know the Messiah's love, Jesus' love, that surpasses knowledge. You can't comprehend this so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Keep working on comprehending the love of God. It's very overwhelming to think that God would love me, the unlovable. But he does, and he chooses us. And we thank God for that. We should stand in awe of God because of that great truth. It shouldn't whack us. It should cause us to say, hallelujah, Lord, this is great stuff. So one of the great joys of pastoral ministry is seeing people respond to the love of God. That keeps me in the game, folks. That's one of the great joys and privileges. I don't know if uh, you've heard this story before, but I want to go back all the way to one of my favorite stories, a gentleman named William. We're in Virginia, 800-seat auditorium, beautiful new sanctuary church, and William always sat on the back row, center aisle to the left. Senior man, 80 years old, hulk of a man, huge guy. So in that culture, we did what was called altar calls. Some of you are familiar with that. A pastor would stand down front, hey, if you want to come and join the church, uh, profess faith in Christ, make a decision, get baptized, we're just here. Prayer, we're, we're here, similar to what the elders do after worship. So I'm standing there, and the music's playing, people are singing, and all of a sudden I see this senior man, hulk of a man, step out. And William started walking down. And he's a senior, and he's alone. And it seemed like for eternity. William gets close, and I see tears just flooding. We get up face to face. I says, William, what's the Lord doing in your life? He says, Pastor, I've been at West Salem Baptist Church 16 years. Today, 
I know my need for Jesus. I'm giving my life to Christ. We prayed, we wept, we cried, we had a blast. Not long after, William said yes to baptism. And this was one of, Jason Dean mentioned at our elders retreat yesterday, the South, they do things a little bit differently down there. Well, we had a different kind of Baptist, baptistry. It was a story high. So it wasn't here, it just 10 feet up. Glass front, water squishing around, kind of nice color. So I'm up there with William, getting ready for William to be baptized, right? I'm here, William's here, big hulk of a man. Nobody compares, maybe I can bury. So I'm getting ready to uh, you know, baptize William, and he takes his monster arm, hulk arm, and he locks it right here on the ledge. So I'm like, William, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and let go, William. And the Holy Spirit, let go, William. He's locked in. I can't get this guy to move. I'm stuck. People are wondering, so I'm like, quick, 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 quick. <laughs> I put about four or five cups on William. I said to the church, is that good? They're like, amen, Pastor. <laughs> amen. Got that buddy up. Let's get out of here, William. So it was just cool. It was just cool. But that's, you know what that is? That's God's love. That's God's choosing. And that's a man at 80 years old who came to genuine faith in Christ, was baptized. You know what happened a few months later? He went home to the Lord. God worked. It's the mystery of the gospel. I cannot ultimately comprehend it, but I stand in awe. I absolutely stand in awe. Can I encourage you with one closing thought? And our worship team, you can get ready, but don't come up. Um, there's this theological truth called assurance of salvation in Scripture. And some people struggle. Am I saved? Am I not? How do I know? I'm going to give you two things to hang your hat on today. Number one, God's story in your life. A, he loves you. Amen? He chooses you. Amen? He saves you. That's his work. God is the initiator always, period. We are the responders. But you know what Paul wants us to know in, in, through the Thessalonian church? You can have assurance of salvation today. First, because God loves you, chooses, and saves you. But secondly, you see the authenticity in your life, your work of faith, your toiling love your endurance of hope that Jesus is coming back. And now, today, you welcome the gospel. You're broadcasting the gospel. Even in the midst of persecution, you're standing firm. You can hang your hat on the fruit of the transformational power of Jesus Christ in your life. Isn't that good? So here, what Paul wants you to know. He says, you know, brothers and sisters. You know what my heart is this morning for each and every one of you? You know, brothers and sisters, you're loved by God. You're chosen by God. You're saved today, right now. And you should see evidence of that. You know what Christian means? Little Christ. You're patterning your life after Christ. And because of that, there is a genuineness and an authenticity that I'm his. How about if we bow our heads, just close our eyes, just for a moment. And it's really just a personal reflection right now, and this is a sacred moment. And please, dear friends, open your hearts to God. God wants you to know his love this morning. The Bible says, yes, he has chosen before the foundations of the earth. 
and that you can know you're saved. But in that reality, he wants you to also live that transformed, authentic, genuine life. So my question is today, do you know for certain you're saved? That you're loved by God? That you have applied the precious blood of Jesus Christ to your sins and you are forgiven past, present, and future? Do you know that? Do you see the evidence of it in your life? If you do, thank God in your hearts. Lord, I stand in awe of your work. But if you're here this morning and you're not sure, you're just not sure that you've turned, repented of your sins and put your faith in Christ, that you can remember a day where, gosh, Lord, I've come to you broken and in need of you desperately. Maybe here this morning saying, you know, God's opening my heart like he did Lydia, and I want to receive Jesus. If that's your desire today, I want to encourage you. You can pray just a simple prayer to the Lord. It's a prayer of faith expressing your heart to God. And if that's your desire, I would encourage you, just pray this simple prayer. Say, Father, thank you for your love for me. I admit that I'm a sinner, and I want to turn from my sin I want to believe in Jesus, trust him with my whole life today and for all eternity. Thank you, Father, for forgiving me and for giving me hope in this life and forever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Can I encourage you as our worship team comes forward? If you cried out to the Lord, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the scripture's directive. Please share with somebody, myself, Pastor Jason, an elder, family member, a friend, someone in the youth group. We want to help you continue to grow in your faith journey. May God bless you.